Hello again, and welcome to Art in the Margins, where we are spending the week uh, talking to wonderful writers and listening to pieces that they love. Uh, Paul Lucart, how are you, sir? Hey, Brian. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? We're, we're midway through the week. Thank heavens. Yep. What a week. We're very, very, what a week, what days. These are odd, yeah, it's odd hard, times. It's hard to keep track. My, my daughter asked me uh, a, f- uh, a few days ago, when is the first day of spring? And I said, oh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter anymore? <laughs> Luckily, given the mood we're both in, uh, it's wonderful news that we are hearing tonight from Mr. John Worth. Absolutely. John is a fantastic writer, very imaginative. Uh, his, his work is primarily graphic novels, and he wrote one called Zealot. And I'm a real crusty dude, and Zealot brought me close to tears. Very moving and poignant. Yeah. This, this guy will slip right between your ribs. Oh, yeah. Dude. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's switch over and talk to John and see what he's got for us. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it's uh, it's it's already been very good for me just to hear uh, some yes. really good poetry read by some really good writers. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank I'm really, you for having me. I'm really curious what drove you to select the things you selected for tonight. So I have this memory from I think it was sixth grade. I was in junior high, and uh, in my English class, we read The Highway Man by Alfred Noyes, N-O-Y-E-S, Noyes, Noyes, yeah, Noyes, nice. and I, I fell in love with it instantly, and I, I had volunteered to read it out loud in class, and uh, I loved it, and then uh, not not much long after that, I heard the the version of it is put to song by, oh, what's her name? Lorena or McKinnett? Uh, yeah, Lorena McKinnett. Yeah, which I just, I love. I love that song. I love the sound of it. So, yeah, so that's the, that's one that I chose. Awesome. And that's the, the lengthier of the two. And I chose a second one, uh, just a very short, it's, it's not a, it's not a poem, but I, would, I had a conversation with my mom earlier and we, ended up talking about literature, which is cool. She's an English and literature teacher at a high school in Kentucky. And we talked a little bit about a lion in winter. And, um, Oh yeah. There's a bit like a short monologue by, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. And in the movie, it's done by Catherine Hepburn and amazing. Yeah, it is. And, uh, that's right. It's just one of my, (laughs) it's one of my favorite, that's monologues. A, are you I think, reading that time. tonight? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. That sounds great. Yeah. That's amazing. So anyway. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, which which piece are you going to start with? I'm going to go with The Highwayman. Cool. Mm. So it's a bit of a longer thing. I forgot how long it was, but it's every moment of it is wonderful. So I'm looking forward to it. The Highwayman by Alfred Noyes. The wind was a torrent of darkness. Among the gusty trees, the moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon the cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight 
over the purple moor, and the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The highwayman came riding up to the old end door. He had a French cocked hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace at his chin, a coat of claret velvet, and breeches of brown doe skin. They fitted with never a wrinkle. His boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jeweled twinkle, his pistol butts a twinkle, his rapier hilt a twinkle under the jeweled sky. Over the cobbles he clattered and clashed in the dark inn yard. He tapped with his whip on the shutters, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Beth, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into her long black hair. And dark in the dark old inn yard, a stable wicket creaked, where Tim the ostler listened. His face was white and peaked. His eyes were hollows of madness, his hair like moldy hay. But he loved the landlord's daughter, the landlord's red-lipped daughter. Dumb as a dog, he listened, and he heard the robber say, When kiss my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize tonight, but I shall be back with the yellow gold before the morning light. Yet if they press me sharply and harry me through the day, then look for me by the moonlight. Watch for me by the moonlight. I'll come to thee by the moonlight, though hell should bar the way. He rose upright in the stirrups. He scarce could reach her hand, but she loosened her hair in the casement. His face burnt like a brand. As the black cascade of perfume came tumbling over his breast, and he kissed its waves in the moonlight, oh, sweet black waves in the moonlight, he tugged at his rein in the moonlight and galloped away to the west. He did not come in the dawning. He did not come at noon. And out of the tawny sunset before the rise of the moon, when the road was a gypsy's ribbon looping the purple moor, a redcoat troop came marching, marching, marching. King George's men came marching up to the old end door. They said no word to the landlord. They drank his ale instead, but they gagged his daughter and bound her to the foot of her narrow bed. Two of them knelt at a casement with muskets at their side. There was death at every window and hell at one dark window, for Bess could see through her casement the road that he would ride. They had tied her up to attention with many a sniggering jest. They had bound a musket beside her with a muzzle beneath her breast. Now keep good watch, and they kissed her. She heard the doomed man say, look for me by the moonlight. Watch for me by the moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. She twisted her hands behind her, but all the knots held good. She writhed her hands till her fingers were wet with sweat or blood. They stretched and strained in the darkness, and the hours crawled by like years, till now on the stroke of midnight, cold on the stroke of midnight, the tip of one finger touched it. The trigger, at least, was hers. The tip of one finger touched it. She strove no more for the rest. Up she stood up to attention with the muzzle beneath her breast. She would not risk their hearing. She would not strive again, for the road lay bare in the moonlight, blank and bare in the moonlight, and the blood of her veins in the moonlight throbbed to her lover's refrain. Talat, talat, had they heard it, the horse hoofs ringing clear. Talat, talat, in the distance, were they deaf that they did not hear? Down the ribbon of moonlight, over the brow of the hill, the highwayman came riding, 
riding, riding. The redcoats looked to their priming. She stood up straight and still. Talat in the frosty silence. Talat, talat in the echoing night. Nearer he came and nearer. Her face was like a light. Her eyes grew wide for a moment and she drew one last deep breath. Then her finger moved in the moonlight. Her musket shattered the moonlight, shattered her breast in the moonlight and warned him with her death. He turned, he spurred to the west. He did not know who stood, bowed with her head over the musket, drenched in her own blood. Not till the dawn he heard it and his face grew gray to hear how best the landlord's daughter, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, had watched for her love in the moonlight and died in the darkness there. Back he spurred like a madman, shrieking a curse to the sky, with a white road smoking behind him and his rapier brandished high. Blood red were his spurs in the golden noon, wine red was his velvet coat, when they shot him down on the highway, down like a dog on the highway, and he lay in his blood on the highway with a bunch of lace at his throat. And still, of a winter's night, they say, when the wind is in the trees, when the moon is a ghostly galleon tossed upon the cloudy seas, when the road is a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor, a highwayman comes riding, riding, riding. A highwayman comes riding to the old indoor. Over the cobbles he clatters, and clangs in the dark inn-yard. He taps with his whip on the shutters, but all is locked and barred. He whistles a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot, and two, her long black hair. Oh, man. Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> That's a great choice. That was a great choice. <laughs> I, there's something about that repetition. It's it, so you know. I I, th I think if you say something once, okay, the idea is out there. You say something twice, and the listener assumes like, well, he he must have thought I didn't hear. And then third time it's repeated. There's that idea of, oh, that was intentional, and he this part I'm supposed to pay attention to. Yeah, uh, John, what's the what's the King King George's man? That couplet, that moment of repetition came walking. Walking, uh, marching. That's it. Marching. Yeah, yeah. So you say marching. you say marching yeah. once. Okay, I, I get it. Marching again. All right. And then King George's man came, and by then it's just the poet has insisted that I yes. see it. Absolutely. And finally, I do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can envision them coming up the road, like it was, you know they 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 breach the horizon and they they're coming closer and closer, and you know you know what's going to happen. You know, like there's this impending doom already. Um, now that you know that, that the redcoats are there. And, and yet there's still a great distance between the horizon and the door. So there's marching, marching, marching. Like there's, you really want yeah. to relentless. Is there, yeah, yeah. I, is, I, I'm not, I listen to, I, th I think we listened to Lorena McKennett maybe at Christmas time. Cause she has mm -hmm. a Christmas album. Mm -hmm. that we like a lot. But mm -hmm. other than that, I haven't really listened to her music very much. This strikes me very much as like a, this is in the vein of like Johnny Cash. This is in the vein mm -hmm. of Tom Waits. Sort of. Yeah. Have you, have you heard, uh, you know, the song, um, long black veil. Oh, absolutely. 
yeah, yeah. That song. It, it reminds me a bit of Long oh, Black yeah. Veil. Absolutely. I was I was thinking of Cash. I was also thinking of Josh Ritter. You know Josh Ritter? Ah, uh, yes. I feel like Josh could have sung or written yeah. something like this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. What a great choice. You know, toward the when she's moving her hand back and forth, trying to get her hands free and her and yeah, blood or sweat on her. At, at yeah. that point, I was no longer doing a podcast. I was just like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> I was just right, right. Like, oh, no. <laughs> I was completely gone for a while. That was great. And that's what yeah, I'm, that's I, what yeah. I'm looking for. I'm looking for you know. Oh yeah, that's, oh, that oh. sort of removal. Uh huh. Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for delivering. It's, I know it's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a beautiful and and tragic. I don't know. I don't know why tragedy can be so beautiful, but and it's it's interesting too. Sometimes during dark times, it's those it's the sad songs that make us feel better. It's. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why. Cause yeah. Maybe because it's someone else's sorrow and like there's a certain catharsis there. I'm not, I don't know why that is. I've, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I, yeah. I recently read during a little camping indoors thing with my kids. Mm-hmm. My oldest was six and I read, I got my old fairy tales collection. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. the real stuff, real, <laughs> real pure stuff. And I, yeah. and I, and I read one to the girls just at random mm-hmm. and the girls, that like the main character, the, the the hero, her prized horse is killed by the bad guys and they nail the horse's head to the wall, but then the horse's uh, head starts telling okay. truths and like, and she wow. stopped me a few times like, wait, so the horse is like dead? Dead? I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just kept going. I didn't know what else to do. I just kept going to the end of the story. Right. And it was pretty intense. Yes. And it got to the end. And she was like, that's the end? I was like, yeah. And she was like, can we hear another? And, mm. she, and we read like five. And I... I think what she was hearing in that moment, I think what one of the things, one of the reasons I think that we are comforted by tragedy is that we feel like we are being spoken the truth to. Yes. That, we, that yeah. just for a moment, the person speaking to us, the art addressing us is not saying it'll be okay. It'll, it's on the same page with us. Yes. And yeah. I, I think there's tremendous comfort in that. I think that's true. The, the dark ancient stories, I don't know, I have this kind of vision of, of like Norway or Northern Europe, you know, where it's dark <laughs> through the wind, like really dark through the winter and you're holed up and some of your most valued people are, are the bards, the storytellers. Yes. And they come up with these like horrific stories of trolls and fairies and um, <laughs> these amazing, but dark stories that, you know, you're, you're huddled around the fire. The darkness is outside. You don't, yeah, that, the monsters are outside and yet you're safe and warm with your family, with your clan here by the fire, drinking your mead, listening to these stories. And I don't know, you know, it could be, I think it's one of the reasons why we, we like horror films, why we like scary Mm. movies, why we like scary stories. There's a, there's a desire for the beyond the supernatural that we, we don't often see, at least in our culture, in our society, we don't see every day. And I think there's a, a, a real God-given longing for the unknown. And the unknown is often dark and scary and capricious. You know, you can't, you can't yeah. control it. You can't tame it. John, I think you and I have talked about this, but I think with this coronavirus, you know, in the course of, I don't know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, like it's blown through all of our layers of safety. 
mm-hmm. or or sort of these things that we perceive keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, it's it's good that it's not sort of the zombie virus because right. you know, like I'm not sure where we would be at this point in such a short span of time. So there's, I think, to your point of like we we sort of huddle up around the fire with our clan while the darkness is out there, all of a sudden we're feeling that. Um, and I think that's very yeah. relatable in that piece and yeah. in this idea of the scary is appealing more than scary, sort of the sort of dread more yeah. than just like jump scares. Yeah. And even at the end of the poem, you know, it becomes a ghost story. Right. Um, oh, I was going to say, yes, that's yeah. so good. I love that moment in any story <laughs> yeah. when yeah. they say, and some say, you know, right. I love that. Part. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's left up to you to interpret, but you know the interpretation is the dude is still out there, so is she. And yeah, yeah. yeah that's so good. That which is eternal about that, their love is is not able to be crushed by the redcoats. Yeah. In, in yeah, in the end, they still win. Right. In a way, in a way. And 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 to me, part yeah. of that is because they win because this kind of thing continues to happen. Right. Because. Love continues to rap at the window and under the cover of night, hoping yeah. that this time they'll get away with it. You know, like, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice, John. Yeah. yeah nicely just, done. How's your Hepburn impression? <laughs> Can we hear oh, it real gosh, quick? I'm not even going to. <laughs> no. Which, wait, even... which, which, which Hepburn, Audrey or, or uh, Audrey? No, no, Audrey. no, uh, Catherine. Catherine. Yeah. Catherine. Okay. Uh, Catherine. The loons. Do you hear the loons? <laughs> <laughs> Audrey's big her medieval movie was uh, Robin and Marion. Oh uh, yeah. So it's kind of like uh, a, yeah. it's got some similarities to Lion and Winter, but not the same. Fair enough. Fair enough. She kills Robin Hood. Spoiler. Oh damn it! Oh really? <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry, everyone. I was out of love. Yeah. Well, in that case. So a lion in winter uh, is. So it's basically a story of who is it, Henry II, and it's kind of late in his later on in his life. He has three sons, and you know he's thinking about who am I going to pass the throne onto. Henry wants to choose um, Henry wants to choose John, even though he's the weakest of the of the three. And Eleanor has other ideas. Anyway, it's it's a scene where Eleanor is. Uh, is with, I think, with her three sons. And one of the sons is chasing around Richard with a knife. Um, this is a normal part of the of the royal family, apparently, back in 1183. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so Prince Richard says, a knife, he's got a knife. And Eleanor of Aquitaine goes into this amazing monologue, and it, it goes a little something like this. Yeah. Of course he has a knife. He's always had a knife. We all have knives. It's 1183 and we're barbarians. How clear we make it. Oh, my piglets. We are the origins of war. Not history's forces, nor the times, nor justice, nor the lack of it, nor causes, nor religions, nor ideas, nor kinds of government, nor any other thing. We are the killers. We breed wars. We carry it like syphilis inside. Dead bodies rot and sealed and streamed because the living ones are rotten. For the love of God, can't we love one another just a little? 
That's how peace begins. We have so much to love each other for. We have such possibilities, my children. We could change the world. End scene. Okay. So that, okay, so that one gets at this very moment so well. So well. Because it, uh, right? maybe better than anything else we've collected. That, that's right. I mean, I think that that really nails it down because we have so and all the going back to the first zombie movie, Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead, the zombies are always the red herring for what's really evil. Right. I mean, like the zombies yeah. are uh, so so that's we're in that moment now. This is not a zombie virus yet. But I, but I feel like this is what's it's revelatory of of what's in the human spirit. Whenever there's something like this, I say something like this, like it happens all the time. <laughs> I hope you all feel comforted by this. Yes, uh, this is this is the part we're talking about: peace, <laughs> unity. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, John, thank you so much for those. That that was wonderful. Ah, well done. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'd, yeah, man. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, dude. See you later. Appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya. See All ya. right. Peace. So that was John Worth. Beautiful stuff to hear. Tune in uh, next week. Tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll, we've we'll got have. we've got you, Paul. Oh, uh, what? Yeah, that's right. You will be reading some things. I will definitely be reading some things. I'm looking forward to it as quite a bunch. I. As am I. Thank you, everyone. We will see you tomorrow. Wash your hands.